Welcome to your Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes jam-packed with news of the day from the perspectives of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. As usual, the news follows a theme, one week at a time, I guess. Today, one of the top stories is what's happening in Turkey. I've been talking about this since it became an issue, I would say, the beginning of last week. I think it was Monday. And it's it's actually, it's tricky. It's It's really interesting as an insight into... If there is 3D chess or if it's 2D chess or 4D, I don't know. I'm going to tell you what I know the latest is and then kind of what I think about it, what some other people have said. Uh, But we're going to absolutely have to see how this story unfolds. This is an interesting one. It is not crystal clear how it's going to turn out. So let me just uh, tell you what the latest is. The Turkey continues to operate in what they say they claim a right to operate within a 30-kilometer zone of the Turkish border into Syria. Russia and Syria, I think the law is in Syria that they do get like 5 to 10 kilometers where they can mess around in there, but not more than that. So there is an interlapping, overlapping zone there that could cause problems. But Russia has said, we respect your right to kind of clean up that terrorist mess there, as long as what you're doing is proportionate to the threat to you. And one thing I think it's important to note, I believe this is something I heard on 21st Century Wire, just uh, Patrick Henningsen was on RT, and I saw a little clip of it, where he pointed out, which, which I did know, so I think it's it's for sure valid, is that like all Kurds are not represented by this group. I think it's sometimes called the PKK or the YPG. There is a group that Turkey clearly defines as terrorists. It does not represent all Kurds, but we have allied with them to put down ISIS. Now, something weird about ISIS bubbled up too. I'll tell you about that in a minute when we move on to the rest of the Lindsey Graham call. So there, so Russia is recognizing Turkey's right to do that. Russia has actually, so what we were doing, we were in there keeping Turkey away from the, the Turkish real sovereign forces versus the Syrian real sovereign forces. We were just keeping them apart, and we were also keeping Turkey off the Kurds. Now, Russia, we've moved out of that area, northeast Syria, and Russia has moved in, and they are providing a buffer between Turkey and Syria. And I'm thinking, and but they're letting Turkey clean up the Kurds. And I'm thinking, great. And other people have said that, and Trump is kind of saying that, and I'm almost wondering if what you see is what you get, which is so hard for me to accept. <laughs> if you listen to the show, you know that. Yeah. It's just hard for me to accept that. And I look at, so I'm thinking of it as the, it's possible that they're doing it, that Turkey will just, take the win if they can get rid of the radicals and th- and there won't be a problem and we can just forget about Syria. I mean, there's a couple of layers here, so I just want to kind of peel away what I'm thinking. The so So as a big picture for me, I don't think that we're ever going to back away from our 
plans to dominate the Middle East one way or another. It's hard to know, like, the tail wagging the dog thing with Israel and England. And if you read, there was a trio of books by Gregory Harms that talked about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Another one was it's not about religion. And another one was straight power concepts. And this guy is not like a – it's actually the first book about Israel and Palestine is, like, shocking, very – pro-Palestinian, it's not, you know, it's not something you'd hear in the mainstream or in the U.S., that's for sure, but I think he is American. But in that last book, or the second book, Straight Power Concepts, he says it's not really that Israel controls everything, it's that it's in their interest for us to control the Middle East, and we want to control the Middle East anyway. So it's kind of like they're paying for what they're getting anyway. And this would be a circumstance where it would put that question into play that when our interests diverge, because Israel definitely does not want us abandoning the Kurds or getting out of Syria, are we, would we, if our interests diverge, would we just go with that and actually turn our backs on Israel, at least in that one circumstance or short term? I don't know. Uh, there's also the idea that it's actually Netanyahu who. Trump is or has been kind of loyal to Kushner was a very good friend of Netanyahu. Trump's father was a very good friend of Netanyahu and Netanyahu is really on the ropes and he may be despite the death throes really on the way out. He really does not have this mandate from the election to form a new government. And it's possible that it's Netanyahu who's getting these guys to come to the table and he's not going to be there anymore and that that there is an actual uh, there are other factors at work, and a couple of the factors that on a national basis came out with the the in this call with Lindsey Graham, he kept emphasizing just a couple of things. One is that the that Turkey has been buying this S four hundred from Russia, and he mentioned in the follow-up call that I listened to today that uh, Obama made it difficult for Turkey to buy Patriot missiles. And I had to wonder if this was part of the quid pro quo that Obama had promised Vladimir Putin when he was running for re-election. And he said, just tell Vlad that after the election, I'll give him a little something, you know. So it's possible that this was all part of that. And what Lindsey Graham kept saying over and over again on these calls, over and over again, all he cared about, he said, the S-400 cannot get activated or we will have to impose sanctions. The president's hands will be tied. It would be great if you would move from the S-400 to our F-35s, but the much more important thing, the thing that will give, and he almost said it outright, the thing that will give us complete power over Turkey is a free trade agreement. And the more I listen to it, the more I think it's not a free trade agreement. It's a trade agreement. And that's what Graham was after. He was after the defense stuff, but he was really after the the free trade thing. And because he was saying you can't – if you activate that S-400, the, the Russian system, we have to have sanctions against you. We don't want to, but Trump won't have any other choice – I was reading an article in Moon of Alabama, and that guy suggested that uh, he thinks all this stuff is going to be one big win, 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 except for, I guess, the Kurds and maybe Israel. But he said maybe Trump put these 
these sanctions in place, because if you look at them, these kind of sanctions are so weird. They're against individuals. They're against in Turkish leaders. And maybe these are just mild, toothless sanctions that will preempt the the painful congressional sanctions that might be coming down. So it is possible that what Lindsey Graham was after is really going to end up happening. But I don't think so, because he seems really frustrated with what Trump is doing. He's absolutely beside himself. And he tried to broker this deal with these pranksters where Trump and Erdogan would have the president of Turkey would have this phone call. And uh, and, and a phone call did happen. And the, and the one of the things in the news is that Erdogan and Trump were talking and Erdogan apparently didn't know that Lindsey Graham was actually on the call and started complaining about him. So, you know, it's weird. And so I don't know if 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 perhaps Lindsey Graham was trying to like maneuver something that was already out of his control or maybe he set up because when he was on this prank call, he promised the guy that he would set up a phone call between Erdogan and Trump. Now, this was in August, so I don't know, but it is possible that he was tricked into doing it, and he did set it up, and it was a trick, and this is what happened. I doubt that. But the there is, it seems to me that Graham is frustrated and that this may be a case of what you see is is what you get. But there was one, two other things that were very interesting about the call real quick. One is the prankster said to Lindsey Graham, we created ISIS. And Lindsey Graham said, uh-huh. And then he went on to say, but the remaining terrorists are forming a new organization that's scaring us. And Lindsey Graham said, oh, I knew nothing about that. But he said, we created ISIS. And Lindsey Graham was just like, uh-huh. You know, like, obviously, we know that. I mean, it was weird. Could have just been a mistake, but it was weird. And it's worth listening to. I tweeted the call. And then the other thing is that Graham kept saying over several times, he said, Trump is working hard to keep the feds off the back of the Turkish bank. And I don't know what. Trump's interest in that was, but he repeated to the guy, we are trying really hard to keep that bank out of trouble. And I just read that actually in New York, charges were filed against that bank. So it is it is possible. I mean, something has kind of lost control there. It says a six-count indictment against the bank includes conspiracy to defraud the U.S., conspiracy to violate the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, bank fraud, Conspiracy to commit bank fraud, money laundering, and conspiracy to commit money laundering. Now, this place does not have any offices here, I think, so it's kind of weird for us to press charges. We did accuse them of breaking Iran sanctions, uh, and maybe we have international standing there. But uh, I know that was a lot, but it's just (laughs) the story is just fascinating to me. And when you look at Condoleezza Rice's map of the New Middle East that she actually had copyrighted, it shows a big chunk of Turkey uh, relabeled as Kurdistan. So Turkey has a real reason to want to stop any movement there for towards them because they we had we revealed that our goal was to ally, form an alliance with Kurdistan and take Turkish territory. So it's possible that for the time being, we really are just standing down in that area. I mean, we'll see what happens, but was that too much? 
It wasn't too much. <laughs> it was definitely It was too a nice much. overview with <laughs> some in-depth details. There are just a lot of details that you are not finding anywhere in the mainstream. And in this case, I think it's about the details. Yeah. I think the details are really important because there's so many involved parties. Curtis, the Kurds, the good Kurds, you know, the normal Kurds, the kind of radical Kurds, Russia, Syria, Israel, Turkey, the U.S. That's just, you know, every single one of those parties is at the table. And, uh, and even in the U.S., there's factions. I mean, Lindsey Graham... Trump, for them not to be on the same team, maybe it's many-dimensional chess. The things that I noticed about the story from just listening to how it's being reported about, a quick aside, I think it's either a setup or really awesome that a prank caller can get potentially get a meeting between world leaders set up. I know. It's really great. Like I think they might have succeeded, and then I start to think – that there are accusations that they're connected to Russian intelligence, and I have to – I mean, that seems reasonable. It does seem reasonable. <laughs> I will say this. Watch some of the Sasha Baron Cohen oh. things. People will believe anything yes. if the person is presenting themselves in the mm-hmm. professional, authentic way. But you got to have a lot of resources to do that, especially at this level. And they're definitely probably getting backed by somebody. I don't know who, but – And people will believe – what they want to believe. Yeah. So so he's talking to this guy, and I honestly, like when the Russian guy said, oh, he kept saying my president, my president, but one time he said President Erdogan, but he pronounced it differently from that, and I, I like listen to how that name is pronounced because it's a tricky one. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I think that guy like seriously mispronounced that name. And and how would Lindsey, if I'm catching that, why isn't Lindsey Graham, who who's probably heard Erdogan say his own name, I thought for a Turkish person should be identical, and I thought because he doesn't want to hear it. Yeah, he's yeah. not listening for that. He's not being that he's wasn't not important being to him. Yeah, the other reporting on it, which I find interesting, is all about the feuds between the personalities between Trump and Graham now going at each other on Twitter and during the well, press conference the Trump gave. When it's like that, then I feel like I'm. it is a show. I don't get it. I think it is a show, and I think the show is to prevent people from focusing on those details that you're talking about because the main stories are Trump versus Graham and then Pelosi and Schumer once again walking out of a meeting they had with Trump. We've heard this story once before, <laughs> but none of it is this about is the, the actual details. the same plot details. as last season. It is. It's, a lot of similar <laughs> plots are coming up again. I would – I mean – and then the other the other story is about impeachment. So you really – you have an uh, opportunity here to show that everybody on the right and left does not want to do what Trump did with the troops, whatever that – whatever the specifics of that may be. And instead of focusing on that, they are focusing on the petty fights between the personalities. Yeah, this is weird to me. Listen, this is weird. I would say all the Democrats and all the Republicans in the political class want war in Syria. They just don't want it to end. And this is what does not make sense to me. That's what Trump said. A thousand years is what Graham would want to – he would want to fight wars. but, But Trump, a lot of those guys, I mean they'll say publicly and privately that Israel is our greatest ally and we have to do everything that we can 
to achieve their goals really in the Middle East. And this and they would not like this. And Trump has always demonstrated alignment with them on that. So that's where I just have a sticking point. He'd really be unaligning himself with Israel, I think, you know, unless Israel's standing down. But I went and read the press in Israel, both the left and the right, Jerusalem Post and Haaretz, and they all say, like, this is dangerous for Israel. And it just doesn't seem like something Trump would do. I mean, like what he did with moving the capital from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem or making that happen, like that was an aggressive move. And I just feel like for him to turn around and say, eh, I mean, maybe it's as fickle, he's as fickle as the as the elections in Israel or the wind is changing or the tactics are changing. I don't know. Again, but yeah. That's the thing that I don't, I just don't get how he's going rogue on this Trump. His, he he's saying that he promised it in his campaign to end oh, the Oh, yes. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yes, 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 yes. This is what I was thinking. He, all this stuff is happening and it looks real, looks real to me. All these details. Wow, wow. I wonder what's going to happen next. And like all these really smart people on the ground over there who are from alternative media who are really telling the honest truth as far as they see it. It's like, wow, these details are so interesting. They're so interesting. So Trump gets to do it. And what? We have a year, right? A year for it to like really get crazy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then he wins the election on this campaign promise. And he and and it's just and then he's got nothing to lose. Right. Like Obama said, after the election, I'm all yours, buddy. No, he's not saying that to Russia. Maybe he's saying it. If I, well, Netanyahu might not be there by then. But like if the idea was he is actually going to affect these goals in the end, it would be post-election. And there'll be a year of this craziness to like make people really beg for us to have a massive incursion into Syria, but I don't know. Like even that seems really kooky. The thing about the Israel thing, to reiterate my point earlier, you have Trump's allies, not only the Republicans but Israel, and then you also have Trump's enemies or his opposition as the media would would frame it. <laughs> the Democrats, all of them are on the same page. They want to keep the troops. So they do not like what Trump did, but and it's that, that is not the, the focus. And the war. Yeah, yeah. but – Right. Yeah. They could be focusing on that, though. That's my, my point is, like, they don't – they're not focusing on that for a reason because when you have everybody agreeing that the president is not doing what they want him to do or think he should do, and that is not the main story, that makes me very suspicious. Wait. So give me one more sentence on that. I'm saying that they're focusing on petty stuff like the personality fights and impeachment yeah. instead of the fact that Israel, the Republicans, and the Democrats are all in agreement that they don't like what Trump did with Syria or is – Well, what I would like to know, if it's just the campaign promise, I mean, is that it or is there a a deeper reason for Trump to be doing this? That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I wonder why he's doing it. It's either a fake out or the campaign thing or there's something more to it. And why is he so interested in this Turkish bank? I couldn't find anything on that. Maybe he's trying to cause a diversion from pronoun day, national pronoun <laughs> day, because he is anti-trans and he doesn't want to support LGBT. Maybe that's what he's doing. It could be that he's just dissing it the way his Columbus Day – uh, his executive order pronouncing Columbus Day for whatever date it was, 14th, yeah. didn't say anything about Indigenous Peoples Day. And I couldn't believe that people didn't get mad because he 
like ho- hostily did not mention it. CNN could have had a seven-hour panel discussion yeah. on that alone. It I'm is- actually very sympathetic to the uh, American Indian, you know, all these colonialism, slavery, stealing people's lands, like – you can't believe in individual rights and civil liberties in property rights and not be horrified at at this history. So I'm not, you know, a huge fan of like Spanish colonialism, which is what Columbus Day celebrates. Uh, yeah, but yeah. I also, <laughs> That's funny. I, you know, I don't go out of my way to like rewrite things. Yes, if, if you what the structure of our historical narrative is was for period actually good because yes that it was kind of founded on sin as opposed to what murray rothbard wrote a book called conceived in liberty so uh maybe the ideology had to come first and the reality later but throwing out the reality because the ideology didn't reflect it in its origin you know maybe that doesn't that doesn't make sense i feel like don't throw out the whole the the whole thing. Insist upon it. That's yeah, all. that's all. Yeah. So the debates were last night. Did you get a chance to watch? Oh my gosh, I couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to do it. It's painful to watch those. It's very. It's um. It's an experience that you will remember for far too long. I can't. Did you do it? No, I did not. I did not. I was not able to. I skimmed through some of it, but what I did do is I did listen to the reporting on it, so I can tell you the messages that are being delivered in the media about the debate. And those messages start with that Elizabeth Warren is clearly the front runner now. She has now been handed the baton very slowly from Joe Biden. Takes him a minute <laughs> to get the baton. Oh, there. really? Yeah, and like it's official. That seems to be the consensus now that Elizabeth Warren is the front runner, not a landslide, but she has taken over right. the mantle. Right. Uh, she has a hold on it, and everybody, like they attacked Biden last time, apparently, according to the reporting, everybody ganged up on old Elizabeth Warren this time because of her health care policy, which is Bernie Sanders. He, he wrote the bill, his policy, and the fact that she – they seem to really focus in on, on the fact that she would not admit that to – do universal health care, her the Bernie's policy that she's supporting that would require her to raise taxes on the middle class, which in the same debate, Bernie Sanders did admit, yet this despite being asked multiple times, Elizabeth Warren refused to admit. So they didn't necessarily really go hard after the plan for universal health care. They just went after the fact that she wasn't admitting that she would have to raise taxes on the middle class to do it? This is what bothers me about all their tax discussions. It really it really irritates me, and it, it just demonstrates that nobody is really looking at the problem. They – I posit that all income taxes are middle class taxes, all income taxes. When they say tax the rich, if it's an income tax, they are lying. Because I would define rich as idle rich, as the reason Warren Buffett doesn't pay taxes compared with his secretary, secretary probably makes hundreds of thousands of dollars, is that yeah. he he's rich because he owns stuff. So there's like three kinds of wealth, I would say, or not. It's not wealth. If you're making income, so you're a doctor, you've worked till you're 50, your kids are all in college. You've got to pay through the nose. You had to pay for school till you were 30. 
and say you're making 800 grand and you are in a tax bracket, which in California, especially or probably New York, Connecticut, especially since you can't deduct state and local taxes, you'll be in a tax bracket that's over 50%, right? So you're making like $375,000 when you bring in 800 and take out of that. Isn't college something crazy now? A hundred grand or 75 grand a year, something crazy like that. So, and to live in a big city near where your work is, is expensive. So these these guys are still working. I would call, you can even call them the working rich. But the actual income taxes take away their ability to save and to be, you know, these are real people who have real jobs, put the pedal to the metal, whatever, the pen to the paper. And if they accumulated wealth like Ron Paul, they could go, he didn't accumulate wealth, but like they could pull a Ron Paul and actually be active. Whereas the people who are in Washington or academia, you know, they're not the ones who are out there really making it They're So you're disconnecting these people from being effective. And then there's also like capital gains. They tax capital gains. And I would actually say there was a time before 401k is when like 40 or 50% of the market was owned by pension funds, which meant these are also not rich people. So the capital gains are mostly garnered by, I would say, some level of the middle class. And then it's the, the, it's wealth that is protected by fighter jets, is protected by contract law, is protected by ownership rights. And if you taxed it like that, it would be actually kind of close to an anarcho-capitalist society where you're, I mean, it would be if you still wanted to make it public, but like the theory would be that you are paying for what you're getting, which is protecting your wealth. Why are we paying more for an air force to protect the, the, the huge percentage of us land owned by Warren Buffett? He's not paying a greater percentage. Uh, he should be paying for like half of the domestic air cover because he owns so much of the land. So I just I feel like they should be talking about a wealth tax. Now, economists will yell at you for that, but I don't care about the efficiency. I care about they are going to get they should be taxed on what they're using. And we're not using it. You're making more money because you've worked hard for a long time. If your office is the same size, you're not using anymore. So anyway. Well, they did have a billionaire in the debate, Tom Steyer, the lunatic billionaire who secretly supported Stacey Abrams during the Georgia governor's race. He is. He also goes around the country advocating for reparations, and it was funny because Bernie Sanders at one point, who is has three homes and is a millionaire, said billionaires shouldn't exist to Tom Steyer, who then basically agreed with him. <laughs> yeah, they do. It's so funny. Yeah, I yeah, shouldn't it's exist. It's like the guy, the big tech guy, was like, "Please stop me from from uh, running a free platform, a platform yeah. for free speech." Please, please I'm here stop to tell me. you to stop me. Please stop me. Yes. Is my message. Yes, I mean it's just hard to believe they mean it. Yeah. Uh, so let me give you an update on the impeachment. Is that good? Go for it. All right. So George Kent was our guy yesterday. He said, so what leaked out of this closed door session was that Trump told him to leave it or somebody from the administration, the white house told him to leave Ukraine to the three amigos, (laughs) Perry Volcker and Sondland. So Perry is the energy secretary. Volcker was, uh, the assistant, to was he oh he was special envoy to ukraine 
And Sondland is the EU ambassador, I think, even though he's just a hotel guy. He said that uh, the claims that Lutsenko, the prosecutor that Biden approved of, Lutsenko had said, we sent him a don't prosecute list. And Kent said, that clearly isn't true because this list is full of misspellings. And uh, the I, my first reaction was, oh, my gosh, I remember reading about the Vince Foster cover-up where they said if you deliberately misspell surnames, it's very hard for people to ever find the documents that they're looking for. So mild misspellings are intentional. But I think the guy from The Hill, Solomon, said the reason they were misspelled is that it was a phone call. Somebody called him and said it, and he just wrote down the names of the people he's not supposed to prosecute. So there's definitely some touching on those issues that we had talked about, but nothing that it doesn't sound. I mean, I maybe they'll dig into it, but it did come up. It did come up that he wrote that letter to get people off the back of ANTAC, and then the article I read, which is in the Washington Post, said, uh, but the letter could not be verified, where I was looking at an actual picture of the letter. Maybe it can't be verified, but it looked right to me. I mean, whatever. And then today, the guy in chambers or whatever they call it, Mike McKinley, and a, a former advisor to Pompeo, he's there. And so is Kurt Volker is back. So we'll hear tomorrow how, uh, you know, what those guys are saying. But I, I would be curious to see if we hear from Jeffrey Pyatt or Victoria Newland, or Joe Biden, or Ban Ki Moon, the people who were, you know, the midwives, the the OBGYNs who are delivering the baby to the EU. Yeah, bring the midwives into Congress. Let's see what they have to say. I don't. I'm not going to hold my breath on that one. Though. No, me neither. This impeachment thing to me is so ridiculous. But it's not, you know, being ridiculous isn't enough for the th- these things to go away. That's what's not going to go away. I know it's going to continue. Probably for the next year. Yes, I read an article yesterday that said it would be unprecedented for an impeached president to get reelected, but he just might. And I was like, well, it's like very similar to what happened in the Nixon scenario. So you could say it's technically unprecedented, but it's but basically continues the Watergate parallel with just very minor rewriting. And Something that you predicted a long time ago. You saw that coming, and it's only gotten more and more like And the, the Hitler Nixon. thing. I, yeah. I saw his – I mean, now it looks like it was so obvious, but I remember the day. I think that it was during the campaign, obviously. I think it was when Trump was on Alex Jones, which was, like, amazing. To me, at that point, I was like, what? And he said something about, like, making, making the trains run or whatever, and I was like, hmm sounds like Hitler. So, yeah, and then uh, the Watergate thing, I I picked up on that pretty quickly. When they started saying he said, she said in the Oval Office, I was like, oh, tapes. This is going to be a Watergate thing. All right. Well, we will pick up on the saga of the news tomorrow. You can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday afternoon, usually at 4 p.m., sometimes a little bit later on thepropreport.com and your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. We will talk to you guys later.